We spent the Thanksgiving holiday, my wife and I and our kids, with uh, my family down in Connecticut. And on Thanksgiving morning, we took the kids out for a short drive to grab a newspaper for my sister to get some of the coupons in the, in the paper and so she could go shopping on Black Friday, which she always does with my mom, and hopefully to get the kids down for a nap. So we were driving about a mile uh, past my, where my sister lives, and there's kind of farm country down in southeastern Connecticut, and, you know, just kind of beautiful scenery as we're driving, cows on the left, and, you know, little pond, birds in there, and we pull up to this stop sign, and obviously stop, you know, any law-abiding citizen would stop, of course. I go to step on the gas, and nothing happens. So the weirdest thing, the engine was still running, but the gas wouldn't do anything. And so I, I looked down at the dashboard, and my Volvo gave me a warning. and said, power system failure. And I thought, okay, that doesn't sound good. So the car just naturally was kind of rolling down this little decline, and I let it roll off to the side of the road. And uh, it was still running. It didn't seem like there was anything wrong, but just stepping on the gas didn't do anything. So I shut the car down, uh, tried to start it up again, then it wouldn't start. Called my brother-in-law up hey, you know, we just broke down. Can you come help us out? So we called a tow truck, and he he hung out with me for a little while and the kids and ended up taking the kids back while I waited for the tow truck. And uh, so on Friday, I got a call from this dealership that we had it towed to, and the guy says, hey, you know, good news, you know. Uh, It's not the computer. We kind of suspected it was something with the computer that was shorting something out and wasn't communicating right. And he went to tell me that it was the... the, uh, the power steering pump, which is connected to the, to the, I don't know much about cars, is connected by belts to the alternator, which obviously creates, you know, continuing power for the car. And then he told me, you know, the good news, which was that it was going to be $1,150. And I thought, wow, that doesn't sound like good news to me. <laughs> so all that's saying, from the moment that we broke down till getting the news that it was going to be this large repair bill, The battle began. Now, the battle was all around what was going to be the state of my mind during this, you know, small crisis. Especially given that it was on Thanksgiving Day. So, it's a little challenging on Thanksgiving Day because you can't just go to the complaining. You're like, oh, it's Thanksgiving, right? The question that I I want to deal with today is, you know, we all engage in this battle to be, to be a grateful person, you know, to be thankful about all the different, you know, wonderful things that are in our lives, even when things are going wrong. And that can often be challenging. Now, this example is probably, you know, pales in comparison. It's just a problem that you can throw some money at, which will fix the problem, right? But many of you are or have dealt with major trials in your life. A loss of someone that you loved, a parent, a sibling, maybe even a child. The grief that, that maybe was felt overwhelming. Maybe, you know, kind of blowing up this picture that I presented, there's been an ongoing financial struggle for you. It's been, you know, months to years of pressure building, and it feels like Thanksgiving, the idea of being grateful, that feels a little challenging.
So how do we, how do we live a life of gratitude? I mean, it, we're kind of, I think general kind of culture gives the message that it's good for you, you know. It's good to look on the positive side of life. Obviously, it's in the Bible. It's all over the place through the Psalms and the New Testament. But how do we, how do we find the ability to be grateful, especially when there are very difficult things that we're going through? You know, again, my situation, okay, great. You know, some money will fix that. I wasn't hoping to pay that. That kind of blows the Christmas budget right there, but we'll figure it out, right? But not all trials are that, are that trivial. How, do, how can we even start being grateful when life can often be so difficult? So today, this is just kind of a standalone sermon. Uh, we're going to start our Advent series next Sunday, as I said. But to, to talk about this question, we're going to turn to the book of Colossians. Now, Colossians is a book written by St. Paul or the Apostle Paul. And uh, it's to this church in Colossae that actually he didn't plant, which is kind of surprising because most of the churches that he's writing letters to, he started. They, people think that it was this guy, Epaphras, a buddy of, of Paul's that was in a nearby city of Ephesus. And he traveled to Colossae and kind of started a church there. People thought that's kind of where he was from. And so he's writing this letter, and it's a little unclear, actually, about some of the conflicts that are going on in the church. or some different theories about kind of the struggles that he addresses throughout this letter. Uh, but it seems that they're, the people are uh, going after some things that aren't quite going to help them. Some, you know, they would call it false doctrine or some ideas that are not really going to lead them to the path of really walking in everything that God wants them to be and do. So we're picking up in chapter 3, kind of in the middle of this book. We're going to start and read verse 1 through 17, almost the whole chapter. So stay with me here as we read this. It'll be up on the screen if you want to follow along or you can turn in your Bible. Colossians 3, we're going to start in verse 1. Paul says this to this church, this young church in, in Colossae. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So interesting. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all. And in all. Wow. Okay. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has complained against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Just echoing the words of Jesus here, right? Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amazing passage here. This is what we see in this passage. I was to summarize, I would say this. God is worth dwelling on. God is worth dwelling on. If there is one thing to set our minds on, to seek after, it is God. It is thinking about God. It is thinking about where God is, about Jesus, about what he's done, about what that means for us. Talking with God, listening to God talk back to us. Talks about, you know, letting the... um, the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I mean, meditating on this, this amazing book called the Bible. It's all through this passage. And he contrasts that, amazingly enough, with things that are on the earth. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. That's kind of a ridiculous statement. We're to to dwell on what's in heaven when all around us, all we can see is what's on the earth. All of our experiences, our circumstances. He's saying, "Ah, don't, don't think about that stuff. Don't set your mind on that. Don't dwell on those things. Dwell on heaven. Think about God. Now, just this is not just a once off comment for Paul. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. With unveiled faces, in other words, the, the, the veil, I would believe Paul is saying here, the, of the old covenant has been removed. Meaning this contract God had with Israelites. It's been removed through what Jesus has done. And now we can contemplate and see the Lord's glory. And what's the result? Are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Another place, 2 Corinthians 4.18. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Catch this one. Hebrews 11.13. Talking about this chapter is talking about all these lists of these heroes of the faith. You read about in the Old Testament, they did all these crazy stuff. It said, All these people died in faith without having received the things they were promised. However, they saw them. How did they do that? They saw them and welcomed them from afar, and they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They were looking to something that they couldn't see. It was something that God had promised, a word of God that he had given them. Right? Abraham didn't have a Bible. God had just spoken to him in some way. It doesn't tell us exactly how that happened. It was an audible voice or an impression in his mind even. But they saw these things. They're contemplating the Lord's glory. Again, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this list he just went through, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangle us. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Where is he? He's in heaven. 
We're thinking about heaven. He's the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Right? For the joy set before me endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We see this theme, right, in Scripture, weaved through, thinking not about the things that are around us. Now, this, this, again, this seems a little crazy, right? Like, we have to work, we have to eat, we have to pay bills, right? There's issues in our life that we need to process, that we need to deal with. It's not, Paul's not saying never think about any of these things at all. But he's saying set our minds somewhere. In other words, when we have that free space in our mind, when we're just kind of drifting off into thought land, right? Or la-la land, as one of my teachers used to call it. He's saying, dwell on heaven, right? God is worth dwelling on. Now, maybe this feels like, is God just saying just walk around with rose-colored glasses on and ignore all the pain and the hardship of our lives? I don't think that's what he's saying. He's saying we need a shift of perspective. Somehow in living in this world and interacting with all the stuff that is around us, we are to spend more time gazing in what's in heaven. I think I said this last week or the week, I guess it was two weeks ago, when Alan preached last week. The idea that someone's head can be so far in the clouds that they are no earthly good is absolute garbage. There can't be anything further from the truth. Jesus' head was so far in heaven that everything that he saw on the earth was through God's eyes. He knew that he was right up there with God the Father. He could, he could radically call him Abba, something that no one had done. Because he was seated up there with God. He was, he was ruling and reigning with God. He knew his place. He could see the earth from God's perspective. And all around him, heaven broke out. Right? People are healed, the lame are walking, blind people are seeing. Every circumstance that seemed absolutely, you know, unable to be overcome was, was instantly changed. Even death itself, as he raised people from the dead, is absolutely incredible. So yesterday, I mentioned we were down with my family in Connecticut. Uh, we decided to go on a little hike through this, this little wooded trail called uh, Pafford Woods in Stonington. And so we pulled up, and we had uh, 11 kids total between two families. We have three. You can do the math. So there were many of us, six adults, just heading down this trail. There's 17 total of us. And, uh, you know, three kids kind of got soaked wading through a little stream that we found. My son, Wes, did two face plants. Sam uh, went headfirst into a wooden bridge and hit his head on it. It's awesome. It's a great time. You know, being family, hiking around in the woods. And uh, we had a great time. There's one thing about hiking, right? You, you have to watch where you're going. Like, the kids get excited. They start running ahead because they're kind of racing to the front. And they're not really looking at what they're, what they're going. And they trip over a stick or a root or a rock. So there's a certain amount of hiking where it's different than just strolling down the street. If you don't look where you're going... You, you're likely to trip and fall. But if that's all you do on the hike, what are you doing out there? What's the point? Right? You go on the hike, okay, sure to get exercise, but for most people it's more than that. That's why you don't see as many people running on a treadmill. It's because you can see the beauty all around you. Right? You look up, you lift your gaze, and you see a greater reality than just the roots in front of you or the rock that you might trip over. I 
think that's a helpful analogy for what Paul's talking about here. There is a a greater reality surrounding us that is eternal, that will last forever. This light momentary affliction that we suffer through on this earth will pass away. Not everything in life is worth dwelling on. That's not to say we don't need to process things. We don't need to you know, deal with the grief and the sadness. But the invitation from the Lord is to, is to lift our gaze. And in my experience, that's oftentimes the only thing that there is to do to be a person of faith and to go through loss or a, a, a place of uncertainty in your life. It's like, I can't do anything else right now. I have to just look at Jesus. I have to leave this world for a little while and all of the weight of it. And I've got to get my mind in heaven and look at the Lord's glory about how good he is and push back all the lies that want to scream that he's bad and he's not taking care of me and he's, and he, and he's, and he's mean or he's judging me or he's disappointed in me. I have to, I have to leave that world behind and escape into heaven and get my mind there. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And this world's marked by heaven. It's everywhere, actually. And when we get our mind up there, we start to see where heaven is all around us. An encouraging word from someone when you're struggling to manage your kids and they say, you're doing a good job. It's okay. Right? That smile from even a stranger. That's a little bit of heaven, guys. When we lift our gaze to see heaven, to to think about how good God is, to to, to ruminate on the words of Jesus, the words in the Bible, it becomes automatic to start to see those things all around us. God is worth dwelling on. He may actually be the only thing really worth dwelling on. Or anything that I should say, including heaven itself. Because there's, he- there's heavenly things all around us where God is breaking through and loving us, showing us love. Now, I find for myself that I, I often overthink it. I overanalyze. I am the worst partner on a Black Friday shopping trip. Because I am going to want to sit there and start, okay, compare this price. And we saw this in this other shop. Maybe this one would be better. And it's even worse on the internet. You know, it's like I, I, I'll take like three hours to like buy a pair. My wife is laughing and just shaking her head in the front saying, yes, it's true, you know. I just, I deliberate and, and you know, oh, to, to no end because I want to get the best deal. I want to make sure I'm not making a mistake, you know. A little bit of a character flaw we need to work on, right? And so that kind of happens the same thing as I'm just going through life. I find myself just always thinking and processing and analyzing things. And one of the things that the Lord's been teaching me lately is just, Brian, stop thinking. You don't actually have to think all the time. Because what happens is I find myself not being present to what's going on around me. If I'm always thinking, I'm never listening. I'm never actually just observing, seeing, listening, watching, enjoying the moment that is before me that is a gift. Right? Right? 
That's part of, of setting our minds above, of, of getting them off of all of our, my little worries and concerns and things that I'm trying to plan for, making sure this happens and this works out. God is worth dwelling on. The moments that he gives us are worth enjoying. Again, there's lots of things we need to think about. There's lots of things we need to process, figure out, make wise decisions. I'm not, I'm not talking about any of that. But we spend so much time, and I'm just speaking for myself. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a crazy extreme example of thinking, worrying, perseverating, deliberating about stuff that in the end is not really going to matter. And it doesn't really accomplish anything else, all that wasted energy anyways, in, in things that aren't super important. So here, here's, the, here's the next question. Why, why, why dwell on God? I mean, what does that accomplish for me? Why is God worth dwelling on? I want to give two reasons that I see in this passage. First of all, it is what is real. It is what is really real. It is what is eternal. And secondly, it is actually what changes us. The first one. We dwell on God as followers of Jesus because we dwell in God. Look at what this passage said. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you're sitting there next to Jesus, inside of God. Your life is hidden there with Jesus next to you, inside of God. I mean, what does that mean? I don't really know, right? It's this, it's this crazy metaphor picture that language cannot describe of what Jesus has brought us into through his death and his resurrection. This, this amazing relationship and communion with God, this union with God. And that is an eternal reality that is not something that is going to fade away. And so that is what is really real. Right? It's it's tapping into, thinking about heaven, thinking about God, it's tapping into the meta-narrative of the Bible. If you're ever talking to someone and want to kind of transition the conversation to like the Bible or something spiritual, just start talking about how messed up the world is. People love to complain about that, especially right now. There's all kinds of things from what's going on, you know, the division in our country to the complaints people have about our president to all the crises all over the world. Middle East, Ukraine, I mean, you name it. The question is just kind of like, why is the world so messed up? What do you think about that? Why is the world so messed up? It's a great question. Or what do you think has caused that problem? They answer the question. If they're open, you say, hey, can I share with you why I think the world's so messed up? This is what the Bible says. The Bible says the world's not, this is not the way it's supposed to be. It's really that simple. The message of the Bible, the world is not supposed to be like this. And Jesus came and he's going to make it new. That's a quick snapshot of the Bible. Let's dig a little deeper. You're explaining this. You say, the world's not supposed to be this way. It wasn't supposed to be this way. The Bible says God made the world and he made it good. He made it, man, he made it fabulous. Everything was awesome. People were were loving on each other. There was good relationships between people. People had a good relationship with themselves. They weren't hating themselves or judging themselves or hard on themselves all the time. There was a good relationship between people and the world. They weren't abusing the world or polluting it or just manipulating systems to manipulate people. But But there was a problem. People chose to go against the way that God said was best. 
And because of that, the Bible says something called sin entered the world. That evil entered the world. And God, you know why God allowed that to happen? Because God values freedom and love more than he values perfection. Isn't that interesting? He could have made this world perfect and made it so that we never screwed it up, but he wouldn't have freedom and love. And he valued that above evil entering into the world. And so because he created us free, that happened. Brokenness entered the world. All the stuff that we see, injustice all over the world, people abusing one another, manipulating one another, right? Racism, poverty, systems of oppression, greed, broken relationships, broken marriages, strife between you know, parents and children. It entered the world because we chose that as people, and we're still choosing that today. But God said, you know what? I love the world because I am love. And so he sent Jesus to rescue this world. God entered into the, the, a dark place in history, a really dark place in history, became a man, and allowed himself to be vulnerable to the pains and the griefs of this world. The Bible says Jesus was a man, was a man acquainted with sorrow. And so somehow in that incredible act that we're celebrating this Christmas, the incarnation, God joined himself for eternity to his creation. Isn't that an amazing expression of the value that God places on matter itself and on this world that he would join himself to it? It's incredible. I digress. Right? Jesus entered this world, loved perfectly in every situation, showed us what God is like. When we look at Jesus, we see God. And what do we do to this wonderful man? We killed him. And in that death, somehow, mysteriously, Jesus took the sin, the evil, the wickedness, the pain and the suffering, and, and brought it into the grave to say, that is going to be dead. And then God raised him to life so that he would live forever and be the first one raised to newness of life with the promise that whoever would believe in Jesus, just to simply call it to God and say, save me, rescue. Jesus, I believe that you're Lord, that you've been raised from the dead. I give you my life. They would receive the forgiveness of all their sins. All of them. All of them sins. All of them sins, as my son would say, forgiven. And not just that, but freedom from the power of sin in your life, that you would have the power to overcome anything in your life that is holding you back. You no longer have to sin. A believer does not have to sin. And not even that, to be filled with God's very spirit, that he would join you to himself and fill you with power to then begin working with him to make this world look like heaven. That is the gospel. We see it even referenced in this passage with Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. He is seated up there because he is ruling and reigning until every enemy is made a footstool for his feet. And of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Heaven is coming. It is invading this earth. We get to be a part of it. We are releasing it all around us in, as, we, as we love others and love God. That is the gospel. So we are not, this is not wishful thinking to contemplate the gospel, to think about God. It is what allows heaven to funnel through us and change the circumstances around us. 
but we first have to put our mind in heaven. Right? Earth is where I live, but heaven is where I dwell. Right? Earth is where I live, but heaven is where I dwell. The Bible says I am not a citizen of this world. I'm a citizen of heaven. And the heaven that is invading this world where one day it will take over and that kingdom will be full. All right, second reason. This is what changes us. When we put our minds in heaven, it changes us. The mindset on God enables us to live like Jesus. Just prior to this, this chapter 3 that we read, Paul is talking with this group about how there's some false teaching in their midst that's talking about like rules and regulations that they're giving that are going to help these people live a, a, a good life. You know, and following these different, these different you know, festivals or whatever. You know, and someone there was, it says it's, they're promoting asceticism, kind of like, you know, like beating your body and severity of the body. Paul uses these words right at the end of chapter 2. And Paul, right at the end of that chapter, says, these things have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Meaning, being ascetic and just saying, okay, I'm going to just man up here. I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going I'm I'm to make it hard on myself. I'm going you know, to get up early. I'm going to have quiet time every day. And I'm going to strive. And I'm going to stop looking at that naughty stuff on the internet. You know, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going gonna, gonna to man up. I'm going to love my kids and love my wife. Whatever, whatever method we have, and I'm going to make these rules for myself, as they say in this passage, I'm going to set these rules, and I'm going to follow these rules. You're saying, that has no power to stop the flesh. That has absolutely no power. And then immediately, what does he go into to describe the power? The power is, set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above. Right? It's the power, as Bill Johnson would say, of a transformed mind. I'm not making this stuff up. Romans 12. How do we become transformed? By the renewing of our mind. How do we renew our mind? We start thinking about God. We start dwelling on God. We start getting out of the circumstances, however incredibly hard they are, and we just lift our mind to heaven. Worship does that for us. That's one way to do that. When we're singing songs to the Lord, it's a beautiful picture of just we're able to just kind of disengage as we can from our circumstances and just gaze on God. That is what transforms us. It's absolutely incredible that we don't have to live an aesthetic life. We don't have to like, just beat our bodies or discipline ourselves or come up with a bunch of rules and that's how it's going to change us. Guys, that's, that doesn't work. That's not Christianity. That's not following Jesus. Following Jesus is setting our minds on him, dwelling with him, living with him, and he changes us as we gaze on him. We become like that which we worship. Man, that is good news. I don't have to do it. God is going to do it in me, and I just get to walk with him as a friend and gaze on his beauty and engage with him in glory, and he's going to help me through all the, all the stuff in my life that's hard. And you know what? This is the real door to thankfulness. Now, there is a thing where we, have, we, we can't approach this with the will. We can just say, you know what? I, I do have a will, and I can say I'm going to exert that, and I'm going to be thankful. But I think this is, I don't know if it's the front door or the back door, which makes more sense, but this is a door to that, and I think it's a really good one. Just put it that way. Dwelling on God leads to gratitude. Right? When when we've set our minds on heaven, it it changes our perspective on what's going on around us. We start to see heaven all around us. My father-in-law is a a corn farmer in northeast Colorado. 
you see a red tractor, what do you say? It's a piece of junk, okay? Big, big fan of John Deere, so Case International, it's no good, okay? He finished corn harvest a few weeks ago. He, I don't remember how many circles he, he farms, 8, 10, 12, 20, okay? So it's a lot of work to harvest 20 circles. It's a, it's a half mile by a half mile square. That's how they measure everything. They call it a quarter. That's a quarter square mile, right? A half times a half, it's a quarter squared, okay? And so this year, my, my brother-in-law, he's in high school. He helped out with the harvest. And uh, my father-in-law has this little drone with a camera on it that he got. I think he got it last, last Christmas or something for his birthday. And so my brother-in-law made this really cool video. And I think he got like over 1,000 views on it or something crazy. Maybe I'm making that number up. But it was like tons of views on it. But just of the harvest. It was a totally different perspective. This thing's like, you know, three, 400 feet in the air. And he's, and he's watching and, you know, the, the combine go back and forth with the grain cart next to it, and it's feeding into the grain cart, and the grain cart's going and bringing it into the semi, loading in the semi. The semi's taking off to, you know, bring it to the co-op. This is cool. Like, you know, it's a totally different perspective that you would never see without a drone camera, right, of what's going on in the harvest. But that's, that's again, that's what we're talking about here, right? Dwelling on God, it changes our perspective so that we see everything different. This is, this is how Jesus did it, guys. His mind was in heaven. His mind was in heaven. He's looking down from with the perspective of God because he's always dwelling on what's going on in heaven. He's dwelling on what's, what his Father is doing. Now, when we're in difficult circumstances, we often want to escape, which I don't think is necessarily an unhealthy thing. We just want to unplug, man. We want to, we want to, we want to watch some TV or... You know, get out and get a run in just to get our minds off of that stuff that feels heavy, right? I think that's probably a healthy thing. But that's kind of like going from negative 100 to zero. If you want to go from negative 100 to positive 100, you've got to plug into heaven. Your escape needs to be dwelling on God. That is what is actually going to transform you. You can get out of that and escape for a little while and hit zero. But if you want to hit a positive 100, God needs to be your escape. Right? If you want to advance, make God your retreat. We talked about this fall. And when we see heaven, guys, gratitude just flows out of us. When we behold something amazing, or we've been, we, we're seeing something incredible, thankfulness is just automatic. It's not hard. Later this month, my wife and I are going to go on a Disney cruise. Our, our kids aren't going to listen to this podcast, right? This is a surprise. So I just realized it. Okay. Don't tell my kids, all right? Don't ask them anything about Disney. Please don't do that, okay? This was a gift to us from Jade's sister. Wow. She's flying us down there. She's paying us for her to go on it. They were actually supposed to go. We we're going to do it together, but she got pregnant, and we're going to some island out there, and there's like the threat of Zika, and her doctor was like, you are not going on this trip. And she was like, oh, no. Okay. So all that to say, that's a little sad. The point of the story is what an amazing thing. I mean, you know, someone does something like that for you, just absolutely incredible. I mean, how can you not just feel gratitude? Just like, it's like you don't even have words to express it because it's just like, man, this is going to be such a gift for us. I mean, I can't even say how, how awesome of a gift it is. How do you even write a thank you note for that? It's so awesome. It's the same when we start to get our mind in heaven. Gratitude starts to flow, and we'll start to see those little things that we feel like we should be or want to be thankful for in our life because we're beholding God. That is what we were made to do, right? God, guys, is worth dwelling on. Let's have the band come back up. 
And I'll briefly talk about how do I do this. Let's get real practical. And I'm going to give you the same thing that I gave you two weeks ago. Pick a name of God. I particularly like the name Dad because that is what Jesus did. But you can go with any other name. Jesus is cool too, right? There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. So there's some power there, I would assume. And say that name over and over again. Over and over again. Get your mind on heaven. Start thinking about what God is like. Now, I'm not some kind of pro at this. But this is inviting God. Every time you say his name, you're inviting him into your life. Remember that image? Jesus knocking at the door, saying, you know, I want to come in and eat with you, but whoever opens the door, I'll do that. That was to Christians. That wasn't to unbelievers. There's always an invitation. God's always looking for another invitation into our life. It invites him in. It reminds you of his presence. And this is an invitation for your mind to rest or to dialogue or to think about God. So I was doing this probably very poorly. I think this was like a day or two ago. And God has brought to mind the thought of, Ryan, what, do you th- what, do, what is your perspective on what it's going to be like when you get to heaven? That's an interesting question for you to think about during this worship set. When you get to heaven, what do you think, Brian, is going to happen? And he was just kind of testing me a little bit. Because for me, a lot of times it's, up oh, judgment day. Let's go through the list. You sit in on August 22nd, 1995. Got that one written down. August 20th, next day, you did the same thing. Right? Or just, God's not even going to be there. I'm going to have to hang out with some, some angels for a little while, which that would be cool, angels. No offense. Or God's going to be standing in the holy of holy place and all of those really awesome people that followed him for all those years and led millions of people to Jesus will be kind of in close and I'll be like, you know, about a mile back with, you know, 100 billion people and maybe I'll catch his eye once in every like thousand years. Am I crazy to think this way? I mean, mean, have you ever thought like this? What is it going to be like when you get there? And then God reset my mind. He's like, I'm your dad. What do you think it's going to be like, given that you are my son and I am your dad? No one's greeting you before I do. This is the shift we need to start making in our mind, and it comes through setting our mind on God, challenging the thoughts we've had about his character. This may not change every one of your perspectives, but it certainly is better than anything else that could, right? That's my challenge to you again today is just say a name of God. Engage with Him. Dwell on Him during those moments. Stop your mind from going a million directions and dwell on God. Before I let the band play, I want to share a couple words that our prayer team had before the service because they just seem, they seemed uh, significant today. So let's have you stand. One is just, hey, if you are feeling for some reason a deep sadness today, I don't have any clarity about what that was about, but if there is something that is really, you are really, there is just some grief or some sadness, something where you are just low. Sam, I want you to come to the front and pray for that person. This is Sam Wallace. Raise your hand and come to the front. I want her to pray for you. Okay, get her to pray for you. God wants to meet you in that place today. If you're struggling with an eating disorder, God loves you and you are not condemned. Please come forward to receive prayer. Someone wants to pray for you. God wants to free you from that. And if there's just a general sense of you're feeling really alone, God wants to minister in that way to you too today. So please come forward if any of those things hit you. And if not, just process with the Lord. Start saying his name and ask him what he wants to tell you today. You can even use that question about what's going to happen when you get to heaven.
So Lord, we just invite you again. Jesus, come in. Any way that you are outside of the door knocking, we say, no, we open the door. Come in, Jesus, and minister to us. It's you that changes us. We cannot change ourselves, but we set our minds on you. We think about how good you are. We set our minds on you. You are worth dwelling on, God. You're worth all of our attention, all of our thoughts. We worship you. Come, Holy Spirit, move now. Thank you, God.